Okay, welcome back. Uh, glad you're here. We have been doing a series this semester on relationships, and we have covered uh, the full gamut, so to speak, but in reality, we've just scratched the surface. Uh, we could, there's a lot more that could be said about relationships, and we're going to find that again tonight. We're actually going to talk about uh, the topic and the subject of sex, uh, and we will just simply scratch the surface as we attempt to approach this topic. Um, be honest with you, you know, when I think about a topic like this, um, I don't, you know, it's not the most fun topic for me to talk about. I get a little bit nervous. And perhaps the reason why I get a little bit nervous is because this has been handled so poorly by the church uh, over the years and particularly uh, in contexts like these. For example, oftentimes in context uh, like this one, someone will get up and they will give you a list of rules or they will tell you how far is too far or it will be maybe fear-mongering where they'll try to scare you to death and give you all these statistics on STDs and all those things to try to scare you in to obeying God in this area of your life. Um, I don't want to do any of that, really. Uh, my prayer tonight as we approach this topic uh, is to stay f- uh, far uh, from that um, as we discuss this topic. And the first thing I want you to realize is that I realize uh, and know that there's a lot of sexual brokenness in this room. And I want you to know... Um, that I realize that our sexual brokenness, yes, it's manifested in lots of different ways and to varying degrees in one another's lives. But there is a sense in which no one in this room um, is not sexually broken. There is a sense in which no one can say, because of Genesis chapter 3, that your sexuality is totally pure, totally whole, and totally new. Everybody... So this is not an area for us to get self-righteous in, basically, is what I'm saying. Everyone, to one degree or another, is sexually broken. And I want you to know tonight that I stand at the front of the line as someone who is sexually broken. That I, more than anyone in this room, need the gospel to come into this area of my life. And so I want you to know just that just to acknowledge that I know the brokenness and I know where some of you are and I also want you to know that the gospel offers hope for you, hope of redemption and hope for healing. But in order for that healing to occur, it doesn't happen in isolation. And so if you're struggling with some form of sexual brokenness, In order to experience redemption and change in that area, you're going to have to talk to somebody. (laughs) A counselor, to a friend, talk to one of our interns, talk to myself. Because healing happens in community when you bring it to the light and to begin to talk about it. And listen, I can't promise I'll have all the answers, but what I can promise you is that I would be willing to listen and to walk with you through those things. So tonight we're going to talk about Um, what the Bible has to say about sex and kind of sex according to uh, the Bible. And my guess is that some of you 
this is going to initially strike some of you as being completely crazy. I understand that. But here's my hope. My hope is that as we walk through this, maybe it will at least start to make a little more sense on why the Bible says the things it does about sex. And not only that, my hope is that maybe after tonight you will see that sex is actually better and more beautiful than you originally thought. So that's where we're headed. Let me pray and ask God to help us. Father, we thank you that as the hymn we just sang says that you laid aside your crowns in order to save us and to redeem us and to make us new. Would you come tonight through your spirit and would you show us how ultimately sex is a pointer to the way you deeply and passionately love your people. Lord, I also pray that you would be near to us. There is lots of uh, brokenness and lots of people struggling with their sexuality in some way, lots of shame, lots of guilt. And we need you to meet us tonight with the power of the gospel. Would you do that? In Jesus' name, amen. If you have an outline, you'll see printed before you um, where we're headed tonight. Three things we want to talk about. Sex is beautiful. Sex is powerful, number two, and sex is a foretaste. Beautiful, powerful, and a foretaste. Let's look at number one. Sex is beautiful. Everyone in this room, you have walked into this place tonight with assumptions about the purpose and the value of sex. And what I want to ask you to think about is, are those as we go through tonight, are your assumptions about the purpose and value values of sex, are they right? Tim Keller has written a book called The Meaning of Marriage, and I would suggest you read it. It doesn't matter what your relationship status is, whether you're single, or whether you're maybe engaged, wherever you are, I think the book is very helpful. It's called The Meaning of Marriage. And in the chapter on sex, he basically talks about three prevalent views that our culture has about sex. Two of them are actually ancient views that we will see are actually in the Bible. We're going to look at in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And the other view is really relatively new in the last 30 years or so. Let's look at the first one. Uh, It actually, the first view is that sex is an appetite. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 12. Almost all scholars and commentators agree that sex, or that sex... (laughs) That Paul, the Apostle Paul, um, the Apostle Paul is actually quoting here, and he's quoting someone, and you can see the quotations on your sheet or in your Bible, and he's clarifying issues that the first century church in Corinth was actually dealing with and the struggles they were having over sex. And so he quotes a popular view at the time, and look at what he says, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And so Paul is interacting with these ancient views of sex, but they're actually still around today. And it is the view that says that basically sex is purely and simply biological. Just like you get hungry and have an appetite for food, and when you get hungry and have that appetite, you go find food and you eat and you're satisfied. 
Well, in a similar way, there's a view that says when you feel the need for sex, it's just like that appetite. You go find someone, and you have sex with them, and you feel that need. That's the first view. Sex is an appetite. But there's another view, that, and that is sex is dirty. We didn't actually read this, but if you have your Bible, look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Again, Paul is quoting someone in the church of Corinth, and he says, It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. It's a quote. And so evidently, people believe that there was a view about sex in that church that said sex was necessary to produce children, but that was about it. Other than that, it's dirty and degrading, and real, truly spiritual people don't have it because it's degrading and dirty. And honestly, this view, to some degree, maybe not that extreme, is around in our culture, and particularly you see it in the church. And one of the ways that it manifests itself is very few of you have probably actually heard um, sermons or talks from the pulpit on sex. Not only that, some of you have grown up in a home in which that word has never been used. And no one ever talked to you about your sexuality. And so there's this underlying assumption that that is kind of off limits and something dirty and degrading and we're kind of prudish about it. That's the second view. Sex is dirty. But then there's another more modern view that says sex is basically a form of individual expression. In other words, that is whatever you want to do. It's your choice. It's a matter of individual preference. If you want to have sex outside of marriage, you can have sex outside of marriage. If you don't and you want to wait, that's fine too. That's sex as expression or self-expression. And I want you to think about those three views with me. And I want you to ask yourself this question. Are they really beautiful to you? Are those views which are commonly held by our culture, are they beautiful? Or does it maybe strike you and when you hear them as extremely self-centered and extremely lacking and empty? Because you see, the views of sex in our culture, culture narrow sex down to being only about me. And that's very interesting because sex by definition is to involve someone else. And what I want to suggest tonight, and what I want you to consider, is that every other view outside of the view of sex that the Bible holds actually devalues and degrades and actually makes sex as something about you. But the Bible comes and actually elevates sex off the charts and says it is way more valuable than you think it is and way more beautiful than anything you can ever imagine. Because you see, the Bible comes, and a lot of people think the Bible is negative towards sex. Nothing could be further from the truth. The Bible is very positive and very pro-sex in its proper context. For example, think about how the Bible starts. I could go to passages in the Bible and literally translate them for you, and I could make you blush. I promise. Genesis chapter 2. Think about how the Bible begins. 
That's, we read about it, Genesis chapter 2, 21 through 25. God creates Adam, and he's naked, by the way. God creates Eve, and she's naked. And what does Adam do? He sees a naked woman, and he bursts out, Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. You know what that is? In the Hebrew, that is actually a poem. That is a love song. And so the Bible begins, think about this, with a naked man singing love songs to a naked woman in the presence of God. Crazy! Okay, we don't think about it. We just read right over that. That's how the Bible begins. Proverbs chapter 5. It says that a husband is to be ravished and intoxicated with his wife's breast. Some people might say, you know, you have a very fundamentalist, literal reading of Scripture, and sometimes it pays to have a literal reading of Scripture. That's to be funny. You didn't laugh. <laughs> so it says that you're, there, the, the husband is to be intoxicated by his wife's breast. The Song of Solomon. A whole book of the Bible dedicated to sex, love, and marriage. And in some places, the Song of Solomon, the book, is so intense and so race, racy that the English translators of the Bible cannot bring themselves to translate it. And so they sugarcoat it. Because there are specific places where it describes very specifically sexual acts between a man and a woman. And the point is this. The Bible celebrates sex. And actually see sex, sexual love, as something that is to be joyous and highly esteemed and incredibly good. Most of you, most all of you, you want to have sex and you think that desiring and thinking about sex and desiring to want that and to thinking about it is wrong. And I want to free you up in some sense. Of course, there's context there. But God created you as a human being, as a sexual being, and desiring sex is not something that you should feel guilty about. Because sex is good, and the Bible actually celebrates it. It doesn't exploit it as a mere appetite, but it also doesn't avoid it as something that is dirty, and degrading. The Bible actually has a very holistic, comprehensive, beautiful view of sex. That's the first thing. Sex is beautiful. Secondly, sex is powerful. We see here in Genesis chapter 2 the first explicit kind of mention of sex, and we see the biblical sex ethic. We've looked at chapter 2, verse 24, really a lot this semester. We looked at it last week. The apostle Paul actually takes Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, and applies it to marriage, and he does it again here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 when he's talking about sexuality. And what we see is that in these beginning chapters, in chapter 2, the man and the woman, God creates them, and they leave their father and mother. In other words, they cleave together, and that's marriage. They get married, and then they have sex. They become one flesh. And so the Bible, the sex ethic in the Bible is that sex is something between a man and a woman in the context of marriage. 
And I want you to think about, here's what I want to hone in on, is this idea of uniting together and becoming one flesh. When we think of this idea of one flesh, our knee-jerk reaction is to strictly think of coming together physically. Is that part of it? Absolutely, it's part of it. But it's this idea of one flesh, and we could look at all of the Bible and see this. The idea of one flesh includes not just physically, but a union of your entire life with another person. That's what Paul is getting at. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 15 and 16. Paul forbids Christians from having sex with prostitutes, but here is his reasoning. Listen to his reasoning. Do you not know that a person who is united in intimacy with a prostitute is one with her body? For it is said, here it is, Genesis chapter 2, the two shall become one flesh. So what does that mean? Sex with a prostitute is wrong because every sexual act is a uniting act. That's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that sex is way more than just a physical act. It's holistic. It's like glue. It bonds you together physically, emotionally, and spiritually. You become one flesh. You become one, a unified one person with them. And think about that. When we think about our culture and sex, our knee-jerk reaction is to say, think that our culture has actually made a huge deal of sex. But in reality, it really hasn't. Why? Because we have made sex and isolated it to this one simple area of pleasure and feeling good and it being something that is physical. But you know what? I believe every single person actually knows that sex is way more than that. You see it all the time pop up from time to time. You see it on TV shows, and you see it in movies, and you see it in the news, and you see it in newspaper articles, whatever it might be. I think deep down, all of us know that there's something way deeper going on in sex than simply physical pleasure. Remember the movie Vanilla Sky, Tom Cruise, Cameron Diaz? Tom Cruise, is, he, you know, he's the playboy. Everyone knows him. He's sleeping around. And Cameron Diaz is a friend with whom he's having casual sex with. And remember what happens. He comes to her and actually decides that, you know, I don't really want to do this anymore. I've got someone else that I'm interested in. And she corners him. You remember this scene? And it's a really intense scene. And you remember what she says? It's very revealing. She says, when you sleep with someone, your body makes a promise, whether or not you do. Friends, that's why when you have sex with someone and they get up and leave, it feels like you've been kicked in the stomach. It's why when you have sex with someone and they get up and leave, it feels like you've been lied to. Why? Because they've communicated one thing with their body and something totally different with their life. They've said with their body, I want to be united with you. I want to be vulnerable with you. I want to share my whole life and share everything about me with you. And then with their life, they've communicated something totally different. 
They've communicated, I really don't want to be united to you. I really don't want to be vulnerable with you. I don't want to share my whole life financially and socially and economically with you. That's why you feel the twinge of emptiness the next morning when you don't get the text acknowledging you. That's why you feel like a punch in the gut when you see them on campus and they ignore you or turn and walk the other way because you have revealed yourself to them in a very intimate and personal way and they walk away and that plays into every single person in this room's fears. Is not our biggest, one of our biggest fears that someone would see us for who we really are in all vulnerability and actually walk away and reject us. You see, that's why God comes. Let me say this. You don't have to believe in the Bible to realize that there's something really messed up about that. And that's why God comes and he says, sex is to take place in a covenant relationship because it's only in the covenant of marriage that you have the commitment and the staying power necessary to actually really unveil yourself and be vulnerable with another human being in every sense of the word. But it's also the reason why couples are not able to break up, even though they probably should. Because they feel so bound to one another, but there's too much guilt going on in the relationship because they've actually said with their bodies, I'm going to be with you forever. I am yours And so oftentimes, couples get stuck in this cycle of guilt and fighting. They feel guilty because they're having sex all the time. Then they start fighting all the time. Then they use sex in order to kind of repair the damage and repair the relationship. And then what does that do? It goes right back into the cycle of feeling guilt and fighting and being miserable. Why? Because sex is uniting and sex is powerful. It's also the reason why couples who start... Uh, going there physically in their relationship are almost always unable to turn it off. You try and you haven't, anybody made the promise, we're never going to do that again. No, we're not going to do that. Let's get accountability. Let's let people in on our life. Let's talk about it. Friends, you need to ask me about it. And then what happens? It happens again. Why? Because sex is more powerful than you think it is. And the Bible comes and says clearly... There is no such thing. It doesn't matter whether you think it's casual or whether you believe this. The Bible comes and says there's no such thing as, as casual sex. Why? Because it is incredibly powerful and you must respect it. And you see the rationale and the reason why God says no sex outside of marriage, it's not because he's being mean. It's not because he's trying to keep you from having all the fun or from feeling good. Or it's not because he's anti-sex or because sex is bad. It's because sex is so powerful that if the only thing that can handle that power is a covenant relationship of marriage where you are safe and secure and stable. In any other context, that power will do damage to you. Think Think of it this way. Sex is like a nuclear power plant. You know, on a nuclear power plant and something that powerful, what do we do? 
You put fences, high fences around it in order to do what? Protect people from wandering to the power plant and hurting themselves. That's what God's doing with sex. God is saying, I love you. I love you so much that I want to put up some warnings around sex. Because if you don't respect it, and you don't honor it in its intended context, it will wreak havoc on your life and destroy you. Thirdly, sex is a foretaste. This is by far the most important uh, point, and really the point that I want you to walk away with tonight. There is a danger from leaving here tonight and thinking that sex is the end-all, be-all. That sex is the ultimate. It is not. It is not. Yes, on the one hand, sex is better than you think and more beautiful than you think. But on the other hand, sex is not as big a deal as you think it is. In marriage, for example, you realize, yes, sex is really great, but you quickly realize that it will not save you. Why? Because sex was never intended to save you. That's not its design. And if you look to sex and you put all of your hopes in the existence on the thrill of thinking that sex is going to deliver for you, and all you look forward to is the thrill of sex, you will grow bitter and you will grow angry and you will grow frustrated because sex was never meant to carry that weight. And some of you have already begun to put the weight, that kind of weight, on sexuality. And it was never meant to hold it. So think about it this way. What then, as you think about, what is it you're after with your desire to have sex? What's behind that desire? What are you really after? Is it simply physical release? Or is there something deeper going on? The Bible says that there's actually something deeper going on. Look at chapter 2 of Genesis, verse 25. Naked and unashamed. That's what we're really after. We want to be naked and unashamed with another person. And nakedness here is way more than having all your clothes off. Nakedness here has to do with absolute transparency. No secrets, no shame, no lying. Being completely known by another person and completely loved at the same time. That is what we're after. And the word for that is what? Intimacy. We are after intimacy. That's what we're all furiously looking for. That is why sex is so alluring to us, because it holds out the possibility of intimacy. That is also why pornography has so many of you firmly in its grips. And I want to tell you this, and, and I don't want this to sound... <clears throat> I'm not trying to discourage you, but this side of eternity, you will never get the intimacy that you crave out of a sexual relationship. This is going to be mind-blowing for some of you, even in marriage. Even in the best of marriages, 
Friends, you know this. I'm, my wife Susie, I am more in love with her than I've ever been. She's more beautiful to me than she's ever been. I am crazy about her. I'm deeply and happily married. But listen, the only people who think that marriage will fulfill their deepest longings are people that are not married. It will not. Marriage, and listen, as good as my marriage is, it does not complete me. Sex does not give me what my heart is ultimately looking for. Why? Because, think about this. Here's the question then. So if sex can't provide the deepest level of intimacies that we all crave, then where can true intimacy be found? True intimacy is found when someone knows you fully and also loves you at the very same time, all the way to the bottom. And you see, on the cross... True intimacy, the Bible says, can only be found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because it's on the cross that Jesus, as He's hanging there, He looks at you and He says, I know you fully. I know you all the way to the bottom. I know your lies. I know your secrets. I know your shames. I know your failures. And that's why I'm here, hanging on a cross. And at the very same time, He says, I love you fully. That's why I'm here. Listen, I realize that when you start talking about sex, it brings up a lot of shame and a lot of pain in all of us. And here's what I want you to hear. Jesus comes to us tonight and he says, I know. I know. I know you better than you know yourself. I know that some of you are the person that you never thought you would be. I know your shame. I know the things that have been done to you by people who were supposed to take care of you. Jesus says, I know. I know what you think about. I know what you've done. I know and I love you. Ricky Jones, he's a former campus minister at Mississippi State, and he tells this incredible story about a conversion, one of the most radical, dramatic conversions that he'd ever seen when he was at Mississippi State. And he talks about a guy who was hard into drugs and uh, was extremely depressed, and one night he decided to try to take his own life, poured gasoline all over himself, and ran out into the front yard and lit himself on fire. Across the street, there was a, a lady, a woman who saw this taking place and she grabs a blanket, runs across the street, and in a sense, she saves his life. So she wraps this blanket around him, throws him down, and puts out the fire. As you can imagine, he was in the hospital for a long time, and this girl continued while he was in the hospital, came and sat with him and prayed with him and uh, talked to him about Jesus, and he was eventually converted to Christianity. He gets out of the hospital... They eventually get married. And as you can imagine, he's full of shame because of what he had done. And every time he looked in the mirror and saw the scars all over his body, he was embarrassed and full of shame. And he later describes that on their honeymoon, 
his wife took off his shirt and she spent the first hour kissing his scars, applying her grace and her love to the very place of his shame, applying her grace and love to the very place of his, embar- of his embarrassment. Listen, I don't know what's been done to you. I don't know what you've done. But I do know this. Jesus comes and He's here and He wants to move into the very place of your shame. He wants to move into the very place of your embarrassment. And when He moves into that place, He says, I know And I love you. And you are beautiful to me. And you have been cleansed by my love. Friends, sex is always meant to be a foretaste that points us to the real intimacy that our soul was made for. Sex is always meant to be a foretaste to the true intimacy that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ tonight, you will experience that day when Jesus returns and you will see the lover of your soul face to face. That is what sex points us to. That intimacy, that fulfillment, that joy. Let's pray.